You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Unreasonable Podcast. I am your host, Julian Edlow. It is another Steve Buchanan-less episode, despite the fact that his go-to sport of baseball is here. Go figure. Who knows what that dude is doing? Uh, so that means we're bringing in another guest. Uh, you might remember him from our March Madness preview. We crushed it on that, in my opinion. Uh, Corby Craig, at the College Caps on Twitter, keepbetting.com. Welcome back to Unreasonable Odds, sir. How's it going? Yeah, we're looking good on the brackets. I think if Gonzaga and Baylor meet the championship, I win most of my pools. So seems to have done pretty good. The the pools are going well. Uh, brackets pretty well. Uh, mostly just betting on those first few rounds. Those first four days of the tournament are always my favorite four days to bet on. Uh, gave some back on that on that Monday, but the first three days were were fantastic. Um, a great tournament. Overall, for me, uh, maybe this might be my best March Madness yet if I had not given back so far five units on the last two UCLA games alone. Uh, go figure. But um, we will be talking March Madness to wrap the podcast towards the end. Um, something tells me that UCLA is not going to be dancing much longer. Um, but we're starting off with baseball. Uh, today is Friday, April 2nd. <laughs> Yesterday, Thursday, April 1st was opening day. Um, one of the things that I retweeted from John Ewing on Twitter is that chalk crushes on opening day. Mm-hmm. You got your ACE going guys are healthy, full bullpens favorites since 2005 going into opening day this year, were 156 and 86 on the money line. So of course I bet a few favorites yesterday and mm-hmm. what happens underdogs go eight and five outright uh some pretty surprising ones and uh break that trend so first of all thoughts on opening day thoughts on the uh unusual surge from the dogs mm-hmm. that we saw on thursday yeah so i have uh some trends as well uh, large favorites of like around over 200 uh to the money line brought a 17 percent return on investment since 2010 and yesterday i think they went one and three, one and two, something like that. So uh, it was definitely a strange day overall. The Padres were the only big one that, yep. that won, and they got there late. They almost didn't win. What, seven runs in the fifth or something? Yeah. Uh, I, we were on Dodgers, Padres, Moneyline Parlay for like plus 118. So um, there was a lot of sweating. And then the Dodgers got down to the ninth, bases loaded with Mookie up, and get nothing out of it. So uh, it was a uh, – Interesting opening day for sure. 
had a whole bunch of cancellations, but it's baseball. People, people before the season start, I see it all the time. People are like, Oh, this is my best sport. Can't wait for baseball to come. And then opening day comes and they, uh, they get their, their hopes shattered real quick. So it's a long season. One of, one of many days, uh, betting baseball, you gotta be patient. Um, so I'm, I'm almost tempted and this is more of a Friday thing. I, I'm almost tempted to go back to a Dodgers Padres money line parlay. Um, some people that scares some people uh, because it just lost, but that that makes me feel like it has even stronger odds of coming through the next day. The Dodgers had some rough luck getting some runs taken off the board, some wild pitches, giving up runs in the middle of that game. That game could have been, much closer to even, and then they had their opportunities. Like you said, Mookie at the dish base is loaded to end the game. I think the Dodgers can turn this around. And the Padres, the top of that rotation now, like now you got Blake Snell going. Uh, Merrill Kelly was a guy that had a decent little season last year, very small sample, pitched well against the Padres a couple of times. If there's one thing I have my eye on for Friday night, it's honestly the same parlay that you just threw out there because I think it has a good – like. That's the reason you bet it on opening day because it has a good mm-hmm. chance to hit. I think it has a good chance to hit again. Yeah, I think that baseball, unlike most well, most sports are similar, but baseball has this discrepancy from the best teams to the worst teams that's so significant that you can bet money on parlays at a pretty profitable rate. Uh, it would probably be more profitable in the long term just to take each team individually, but um, to save some kind of just like mental headache, getting plus 118 on the top two best teams in the league facing probably two of the worst five teams in the league. Uh, it's nice. So I would agree the money line probably against the day. I think last time I looked, it was like minus 104, 105. It's a good look. Probably my only worry is I don't know if Trevor Bauer is worth last time I looked, it was like 265. And I mean, though he's a really good pitcher last year, he had really good numbers. I just, that's, that's a heavy price. And, the, the Rockies lineup, they looked good yesterday, made Kershaw look awful. I think that I saw um, – this stat could be completely wrong, but I think that I heard he gave up more runs yesterday than he did in the last three opening days he's had. So that's interesting. But I mean, he was 7-1. and one. He was 7-1 and one on opening day coming into mm-hmm. that one. Yep. Uh, his bat looked good. He was, what, two for four? He had a du- – mm-hmm. did he have a double? Uh, he looked good on the bats, but still slow as can be and uh, didn't get it done, so. Yeah, so Bowers down to minus two forty-five on the money okay. line right now. Two forty-five, um, not as bad. He had an easy schedule last year. The COVID mm-hmm. year, you just kind of played the same teams over and over again, and he played some easy ones. So now you're playing for the Dodgers. You're at Coors Field. The Rockies lineup showed some pop. Uh, totals twelve in that game. We should probably see some runs. I don't think the Do- I think the the Dodgers put up almost <laughs> an unlucky five yeah. on Thursday. That easily could have been seven, eight, nine, ten. I think we could see some runs in this one. Um, but overall, you know, we're not necessarily here to give out baseball plays. We're here to give out some overarching, uh, you know, themes when it comes to betting baseball. So a few things I want to go over. And the first one you and I talked about for a second before the podcast is just kind of the discrepancy in price. Like if you have a basket a favorite in basketball that has an 80% chance of winning, that's like a minus six, 700 money line type of play. And those don't exist in baseball. Once teams get to 300, we see like a few 400s a year. Um, They're mostly the big favorites are like the Dodgers are today, minus 240, 250, 260, um, and have a very good chance of of winning. So that juice deters people from betting. But 
Um, I mean, give me your thoughts here on, on why these numbers are, are different and what that means for betting baseball, I guess. Yeah, so I actually have a little write-up here for it. And so I might sound like I'm reading off a script because I am. Uh, so in my thing, I said juice isn't, isn't linear with win potential, as you were saying. So in most sports, a minus 300 is a 75% implied line. And it wins around 75% of the time. Like if you take a large enough sample size, they're going to win 75% of the time. Baseball is not the same way. Since 2010, um, an implied line of around 266, it's, it was a sample of like a thousand games, I believe, is a 77% win rate over 1,100 wagers, which leaves a margin of 4.5%. So 4.5% is plenty to bet. And it, it just shows that like those big favorites have like the discrepancy between really good teams and average teams in baseball is so different uh, in any day a not a Gonzaga that's a bad reference but like a, a Michigan can lose to a UCLA in basketball but yep. most days a Dodgers don't lose to a Rockies so um, I think that it's more of a commonality for the favorites to win and you can use that to your advantage in sports betting so I guess, I mean, that's the reason, you know, I piece together parlays in baseball with, with the heavier favorites. It's one of the, one of the sports I think you can trust it. Whereas in like NFL, I don't necessarily parlay heavy favorites. I'll use the six, the six point teasers uh, as, as a way to kind of get teams that are six and a half, seven point favorites down to what you want them. And it's, it's more profitable. You get a better price Um, in baseball. I think you can parlay, but one of the other ways, one of my favorite ways to bet baseball, I know a way that you like to bet baseball, is to take away a part of the cap and shorten the game, especially when, like, man, I forgot how long baseball games are. I tried to watch some of these games yesterday, like four hours. Oh, like you you go do something else and you come back an hour later and it's went from the fourth to the sixth inning. Like, it is long. Um so it can also be just an improved way to enjoy the bet if you don't have the time to sweat a whole baseball game. First five plays, uh, you cut out maybe capping the bullpen. You don't know who's going to pitch. You don't know what the situation is going to be at that point in time. You just pin two starters against each other um, and focus in on kind of the bats that you know are going to be seeing a certain pitcher. Um, I, I like to kind of get some data before like I'm going to be betting baseball really light right now especially with the tournament still going on especially with the NBA still going on I'm I'm a big NBA better as you know uh so it's going to take me some time to get into things let's see how let's get some first five data and then you know get into it but what are your what are your thoughts on first five betting what exactly are you looking for when you place one of those bets yeah, so one of the criticisms that I get as a better, and I've gotten it over the last few seasons for a couple of years now, is I don't bet, quote unquote, I don't bet enough in the opening weeks. And it's a similar idea to you. I, I want data to come through. And I, people always say, like, this is the time you can beat the lines because Vegas hasn't had time to look at the games either or adjust. And I completely disagree. I think that uh, there's so many different variables in the opening weeks. There's no reason to bet. I think that opening day is probably one of the days that you can bet because people are more focused and want to win their first game. But then after that, it's kind of like, okay, the, the hype is gone. We kind of need to just, just chill out. You don't have to bet on the second day. You don't have to bet on third day. There's no person forcing you to bet anyway. So um, I agree that probably laying low this next, this weekend going into next week, and I'll probably start betting for real the next weekend. 
that said, first five, I agree. I take first five lines a solid amount, but typically it's for a reason of you can get, so I can't remember the exact number. I think it was 65 cents. So if, if a line to a full game is 65 cents less to the first five, it's technically a good spot to play no matter what. And it happened a good bit last year with the White Sox. And so we were on the White Sox a lot, um, first five innings. And and that I feel like is due to the fact that the White Sox bullpen first off sucked. So it was easy there. Sometimes you can find value in the fact that bad pitchers can do well versus batters in the first one, two go rounds because the batters haven't seen them. So I know I can't think of the guy's name. The White Sox pitcher, I think it's Cease. Um, Dylan Cease, I think. Dylan I don't know Cease, who I could be yeah. butchering that. Um, he's a, he was a really good pitcher for the first two go-rounds. First two at-bats, I believe he was sub-.200. Good pitcher. And then the third go-round, he lost it all. Every single time that he was a pitcher, he lost it all. So you were getting a quality pitcher for the first two go-rounds, and you had the White Sox bats to back you up. So you're getting a good price no matter what. And I think we hit the White Sox first five probably 10 games in a row. So um, every time he was in the mound, you get a cheap price, like minus 115, because who is this kid? And he comes out and he throws a gym. And then third go around, he walks everybody. So uh, there's definitely angles in first fives. I've been told by people that it's not the sharp way to bet because um, they don't care who's winning through five innings. You want At the end of the game, people want to win the game. So uh, I, I have to disagree. There, there's pros and cons to everything. And I think that, as you were saying, it's a, it's a very easy way to first off, enjoy watching your bet because who wants to watch the seventh inning with 40 pitches and the second and second there's a lot of data that can be used to find good spots in the first five and another example <clears throat> like the the dylan cease example you just used uh we're doing a lot i can't remember this guy's name maybe you'll remember his name but it was a guy that we talked about a couple times last year it was a young kid on the rockies who was pretty good mm -hmm. but because um, he was like making his his MLB debuts, God, like it was his first name? five games or something, we were getting like seven and a half on the first five totals. And he That's was a decent time. pitcher. So you just, how can you not take an under seven and a half on a first five line? Uh, and they were coming through with like fours, fives on the, on the board. And uh, it, it was working. So th that's another thing to keep an eye out for. Uh, first five totals when you have the right, the right pitching matchup uh makes makes a lot of sense and i'm not a big total better in any sport i would say the most totals i bet are probably first fives in baseball and i place a lot more wagers on basketball and football than i do in in baseball so it's it's a totally different uh you know landscape in terms of what i'm i'm looking for um i think that that opens up a good debate in the whole how important are stadiums and like the the whole atmosphere type thing um as you've seen, and, and we talked about this a good bit last year, is I was a big advocate that it's not as important as people think. People were tossing like seven and a halfs on when that game 100% was at Coors Field. There's no way that it wasn't. Every time that a seven and a half popped up on Coors Field, I don't care who's pitching. I don't care if it's the MLB all-star game. That's an under. Like, to have to score eight runs in five innings, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, yes, Coors, they're up higher. They're, they're going to be more runs. The field's a little shorter, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. It's still a professional pitcher on the mound who has to give up eight runs for you to lose. And I had data for it. I don't have it on me currently, but um, it is a profitable thing to back. I believe the Rockies were like 30 and 15 to the under at home this uh, last year, or it might not have been home. It might just Coors, be overall, but... Coors was a big, 
under moneymaker. Right? Yeah. So, so it historically has been an over machine and that's why people take it. But Vegas knows this. They react. They change the line. And now you see that. You'll see lines yesterday. Kershaw versus the Rockies ace. I can't remember who it was. Uh, Marquez, I think. Marquez. Was 12. And so, yes, it went over. Yes, it's the Dodgers. But at the same time, like 12 runs is just absolutely insane to think Kershaw was given. The first five actually pushed at six because Kershaw had a error, I believe. It pushed mm-hmm. um, bottom of the fifth with two outs. So, it would have been a good bet to take the first five under the Rockies game because it's too high. If it was six and a half, I would have been on it in a heartbeat. So I think that you can kind of fluctuate, like how important do you think some things are? And I just don't believe that the importance of atmosphere or or where you're at is as big as people are giving it nowadays. All right. One more baseball question. You don't have to have an answer because I'm almost putting you on the spot here. I don't have opinions on these because I have not researched enough baseball yet my brain is still on basketball um and this is a much longer season than last year so it's not like you have to get a rush on a team and then poof it's gone but like so last year the white Sox were a team that people didn't necessarily see coming they were a big money maker um certain young pitchers were being undervalued early uh before prices came around do you have any teams or pitchers that you think i know you're not gonna bet, bet that much early but by the time you get around to betting a little bit more in a couple of weeks, uh, while we're still very much so in the early portion of the season, a team, a pitcher that you want to be backing, you know, in the first half before prices kind of catch up to them. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of pitchers that the exact opposite, they're going to be priced too well. That's just as good, just as good information. If there's somebody that you're going to fade because the other side's going to be, always mispriced than just as good yeah so i think there's a lot of pitchers that are overpriced i think um if you're going to look into information i would probably check that first for example um somebody commented on twitter about this but i am very low on dylan bundy i don't think that bundy's a good pitcher by any means let me pull up his stats real quick i don't know if y'all can like i think they they won last night they did he gave up three runs yeah they beat the white Sox uh four to three in his his opening day start so they they got it done in his in his first start um it took a couple of runs in the eighth so he was yep. on track to lose that game that was a bullpen one so yeah so if you bet the first if you bet the first five the white Sox covered the first again. five they were up three to two and the angels got that second run in the bottom of the fifth mm-hmm yeah, so Bundy, this is just a good example, and this isn't a person in particular, but Bundy last year had more strikeouts than hits. He had 72 strikeouts, 51 hits. Looks like a good year. I think he had like a 3-5 ERA. Pretty good year. If you look back just one season, he hasn't had a season where he had more strikeouts than hits since he started in 2012. So he's not a good pitcher, and he's being priced as a guy that just had a 3-5 ERA last year. So I think that's a just a commonality throughout all of last year. I think even Gio, who was pitching for the White Sox last night, I think that he's a really good pitcher, but he's priced a little too good. He threw a couple, he threw a no hitter last year, a couple one hit games. Like he had a really good year last year. And I think that it was more that bats just weren't acclimated to the short season and pitchers games were so important because they only played 60, what 62. I think Uh, their games, games were so important that pitchers knew that they had to win and bats just hadn't trained as they should, as Lindor told told the media, and then got paid $300 million. 
um, they just weren't trained as they should. And so I think pitchers had a pretty easy year last year. And so I would, I would look first into who's going to do worse than who's going to do better. Uh, that said, a team that I'm going to be backing a lot this year, and it's a team that being from Alabama, everyone, everyone around me loves and I've always hated is the Braves. I think that the Braves have a really good baseball team. Every single year, I'm so hypercritical of the Braves, but they have a squad this year. I don't know if you've seen their offense is absolutely – they. I don't think they win it all. I think the Dodgers win it all again. But the Braves' offense is just the most consistent. There's no best. There's no – they don't have a drop-off for real. They have – their pitchers are Freed, Anderson, Soroka, Charlie Morton. I'm kind of low on Charlie Morton. But uh, they just have the tools to beat teams consistently. They're going to get a pretty high line. I would imagine that most games are going to be like a 160, 165. But uh, that comes into where you can use the minus one. If We've talked about that tool before. Uh, and I just think that the Braves are going to have a lot of value throughout the year. So I think they are a good team to back. I'll probably be on the White Sox a lot still. They have the offense to – the numbers for the White Sox are going to be strange. They're always going to get bad lines because they don't have the best pitchers. But they have the bats that it doesn't matter. If you score 10 runs in a game, the pitcher doesn't really matter. And so the White Sox will always bail out their pitchers and get a good number. So, All right, there's some teams to watch. Um, and we're going to transition over to the hardwood now. Final four on Saturday night. Um, the, the two teams that we all expected and were hoping would be here, Gonzaga and Baylor, are here on opposite sides of the bracket. A lot of big upsets in the tournament. Uh, been a very good tournament. But uh, let's break down these games really quick. Baylor sits right now as a five-point favorite over Houston. Um, total 134. Baylor's minus 220 on the money line. I grabbed Baylor at uh, minus four and a half as soon as this, as soon as this opened. I like them against Houston. Uh, Houston is a... Solid team, a good defensive team. They have bodies, uh, but they're not going to get 19 offensive rebounds in this game. They shot a lower percentage than Oregon State to win. They just bullied them around, um, almost gave that one away. They've reached the final four by beating four double-digit seeds. They haven't played anybody yet. And because of their conference, they haven't played anybody in the regular season. Now you get tossed into the fire with Baylor. Uh, those three guards, they've been beating teams without even shooting well. I think they were three of 19 from three against Villanova. When it came down to it, Mitchell just puts his head down, has a first step that can get by anybody, gets to the rim. Um, and they win that, they wind up winning that game by double digits, shooting three of 19 from three. Uh, Baylor can beat anybody in the country pretty well outside of Gonzaga, uh, in my opinion. And Houston just isn't the team that has the the guys or has been tested enough to, to really get this one. So even if this is Baylor, either a runs away with it in my mind or B um, this is a close game throughout that Baylor kind of has the edge in. And then when we get down to crunch time, free throws uh, getting some stops, this turns into a six, seven, eight point Baylor win. Um, do you have a bet on this game? How do you see this game going? I don't, and I don't imagine that I'll have a bet the rest of the tournament, unfortunately. But I have to agree, Baylor minus five has to be the side. Uh, and it's it's strange because I've bet on Baylor all year. I've bet on Baylor the last three years. I love this team. Love how they operate. That said, I hate, and I, and when I say I hate, it's a mean thing to say. I hate Jared Butler. I just I cannot stand the kid. Um, he is a very good basketball player that is scared to have the ball in his hands, and so 
I don't think that a team like that can beat good teams. That said, I don't think that Houston's a good team. Like you said, I don't think that Houston's played anybody. I don't think they have the scoring potential to score against this offense. Um, Davion Mitchell is absolutely ridiculous. And two opposite ends of the spectrum. Every single time that kid touches the ball, I have a smile on my face knowing that he does not care. He doesn't care if Paul George is guarding. He's going to the basket. He, could give, he does not care at all. And so I think that no matter what, in crunch time, he can do what he wants. Macy Oteague's sitting in the corner. Uh, they just – they have too many tools and not many teams can beat them. I think that they are the definite number two team in the nation, and we all know who number one is. It's not very close. Uh, I think that the more the, – I think that five is probably a really good number. I think they win by six or seven. But it, it's all dependent. Jared Butler is uh, – what was he the big 12 player of the year? I think so. I believe he was. So it's obvious that he can take over, but he just hasn't. Like, if you watched him last game, he literally would – he would walk up the court, give the ball, and then go sit in the corner. It's just like you have to be willing to score to be, beat good teams. And Houston is a good team. They have a really good coach. It'll be interesting. And I think if Jared Butler has less than double digits, they lose this game. Um, but I, I think at some point he has to take over. So, Yeah, I'm not high on Butler and Teague, honestly, but they both can shoot the ball. Uh, they're both very good guards, better guards than, than Houston has probably. And I trust Mitchell enough. Like I like Mitchell yeah. enough to put guys in the right situation. So just to throw out a prop in this game, like the ball goes to Mitchell's hands. He, he runs that offense um and those other two guys are just kind of the shooting guards and they're good three-point shooters um mitchell i like mitchell over four and a half assists in oh, this yeah. game that's a good number i, I um, like i like this spot for him i think that teague and butler hit some shots they have big guys on the interior that can kind of get it done mayor um everyday john coming through huge in that last game in a couple couple stretches uh i had an alley oop to I'm not that uh not that vital scores, but he had a big alley oop to vital. I think I, yeah. I see Mitchell getting over four and a half dimes in this game. Yeah. So just curious because I haven't looked at the props. What is Adam Flagler's points? Adam Flagler's yeah. points. Let's see. Um, eight and a half. And you can so, get plus one oh seven on the over. So I love eight and a half. I think that Adam Flagler is somebody who glues this team together. So looking at his stats. He is 86% from the free throw line this year. And if you've watched any close game, it, every single person on the team knows that Adam Flagler is shooting their free throws. He got a triple screen. Uh, every single person on the court set a screen for him to go get the ball on an inbounds pass. They trust this kid to shoot the free throws. So if this is a close game, he is shooting the free throws. And so um, I think that that is a really good bet. He has a really good shot. He has a good stroke from three. He's just a really good basketball player. He doesn't care to score, but if he's left open, He'll hit a three, and at the end of the game, if it's close, he is shooting the free throw. So um, I really like that kid. A funny a funny thing on Matthew Meyer, it, there's not a human in the world that cannot like the kid, but it is so goofy to watch him play basketball. He, I don't know if I've seen him pass the ball twice in a game. Right? Yeah, he, he's a shooter. <laughs> he catches that thing, and he is shooting. So it was a running joke. We were watching the Baylor game in my house with a couple of friends the other day. And I was like, if anybody sees him pass the ball, let me know. I'm highly curious. So I don't think he did. I think that every time he touches it, it's a, it's a jump shot. So just to uh, Baylor's just... a weird team. Baylor, if you are a if you're if hey, if there's a no, Matthew Meyer, if there's Matthew Meyer assist stats, you definitely want to take the under on that. No matter what, it is. if it's 0.5, take the under. Uh, he's not passing. But I think that Baylor's a weird team in the sense that if you're an analytics guy. 
take the uh, NATO approach. They aren't a good basketball team. They shoot so many jump shots, so many step back, turnaround jumpers, and they're just so good that they can hit them. So um, if they're ever on an off night, it's, it's hard to see them beating good teams because they do rely on those quote unquote low quality shots uh, that Nate, Nate Oaks has preached not shoot. And so it's strange, but at the same time, it's worked all season and uh, they're going to beat Houston. So. Uh, so real quick on the props, M- Meyer assists not available uh, as you <laughs> expect. Um, Flagler though, he averages nine a game. So you're getting plus money on the over eight and a half. That's not bad. And then you just look at him in the tournament. He scored double digits in three of four games. So not a bad play there. Uh, moving over to the other game. Yeah. UCLA, UCLA, Gonzaga, weird run for UCLA. I, I don't want to take away from the coaching. I don't want to take away from Johnny Juzang having a great tournament, but they have gotten lucky. Uh, Alabama and Michigan both shoot over 70% from the line. They combined to shoot under 50% in those two games, uh, which obviously were narrow uh, UCLA wins. Uh, Great run for UCLA. It ends here. Uh, The question is by how many points does it end? Um, I I would lay the 14 with Gonzaga. I don't know if it's a better bet to lay eight, eight and a half in the first half and just say it's going to get away. Like I, I, I just rode some Gonzaga final four and to win it all tickets in the last game. I didn't need to bet on them against USC, but I did get kind of taken into the, okay, USC has the size. They can, it's a spreads nine. They can maybe keep this at single digits and you blink and it's 17 to four. So yeah, I think the Gonzaga is going to run away with this one quickly. I'm interested in the first half. I'm interested in the game. It's a short number when you just compare it based on other spreads Gonzaga has had this season Gonzaga's won 10 of their last 11 games by more than 14. Uh, I don't see how UCLA is going to compete in this game. So the last thing that I'll give you before I toss it to you for some thoughts is if you want to get a little, uh, if you don't want to lay the points with Baylor and you just want to take them on the money line, you can parlay the Baylor money line with the Gonzaga first half money line for around minus 125. Um, I think you don't want to get too cute and too cheap with these parlays. Sometimes it's better to say, ah, you should just lay the points and only have to rely on one thing. Gonzaga is not going to be losing at halftime. They're not. So I just see this as getting Baylor as minus 125 money line, which I'm very interested in compared to the five points. Um, so this is something I, I might do. Uh, I, I just see a free leg there in Gonzaga first half money line. Um, let me know what you think about that. Let me know what you think about the game. I mostly know what you're going to say here. <laughs> yeah. So if, um, anybody who watches this has followed my Twitter for any amount of time, I, uh, since probably two weeks before basketball season start has said, um, that Gonzaga will beat every single team that they play this year by double digits all the way to the championship. And I think that they've done that other than West Virginia where Suggs got hurt. So I, take that one off my list that doesn't count Suggs wasn't playing and they won by seven so um I I still agree I I think that Gonzaga is the best basketball team we've ever seen in college basketball I said this before the season started me and you both took futures on Gonzaga I think that Gonzaga beats this team out of the water that said 14 is probably a perfect number uh I think that they beat them by more than 14 but as you saw I replied to you on Twitter 
14 is the biggest spread that's been in a final four game in history. So they mm-hmm. couldn't have raised the number much more. This is the, they were tossing out a number. They're like, hell, they, they won't bet on 14. Will they? And, and well, here's the, the thing though. Like, is it, it's the biggest number in a final four. So maybe that scares people away, but like mm-hmm. who cares about what stage the game is on? It's just yeah. the game. It's these two teams playing. And if it wasn't the final four, this would be probably a short number. Yeah. I think that, it it's it speaks more to how good Gonzaga is. They put that number out knowing there's people that will take Gonzaga still, so we have to put this number so high. And I think that's the right side. Who's going to stop Timmy? If the Mobley brothers couldn't stop Timmy, who is going to? And I'd be the first to tell you, literally nobody will. This kid is absolutely ridiculous. If you haven't, I know Gonzaga plays late at night, probably not on most people's TVs. If you haven't gotten to watch this kid, go search highlights on YouTube. He is the closest thing to Kevin Love that you can find in a college basketball player, and it is scary. Like he makes point guard. He's probably the fifth best point guard in the nation, and he's not <laughs> a point guard. And so it's terrifying to watch. They are just that good. Um, I the debate whether they beat UCLA or not isn't even there. The debate should be would they beat 2015 Kentucky, and, I, and that's probably the best team to ever play college basketball, other than this team. And so the debate is that it's not who are they going to beat this week? Can you lay 14? I don't know. Um, But they're going to win. So I agree. The first half money line, there's not a way that Gonzaga is down in my opinion. Um, Even if they're shooting low percentage, they're still going to be up. Uh, And so I just, there's not many ways that you can not play Gonzaga. Looking at UCLA's stats, they're 160th in guarding two point, two point shots. And, Gonzaga's first in scoring two-point shots. So uh, best of luck. I just don't see it happening. Cody Riley is going to get eaten alive. I would say any form of Timmy points, Timmy's rebounds, Timmy assists, it doesn't matter. He's probably going to have 17. I would say six assists, probably 10 rebounds. So uh, I think that he goes off. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and I've watched a lot of Gonzaga basketball just because I'm a I'm an avid nerd of basketball. I genuinely think that Gonzaga hasn't shown their true potential yet. I don't think that they've tried their hardest. And and the example that I give to this is they went up 17-4 in USC after a week of people saying, hey, USC has a chance. Like, it's what I heard all week is USC has a chance. The instant they start that game, Gonzaga, you could see in their eyes, they were like, okay, we're going to beat the hell out of you. And so they did. And it was what they win by 20. Um, and then the second time that they've been put under any type of pressure was – BYU second half, they were down nine at halftime, I believe, and came out completely different look. And BYU uh, didn't have a chance in the second half. So I think that Gonzaga has this just switch in their head that they're like, okay, we can beat you, but we're just not going to do it completely. And so I don't imagine you see it tonight, but I think when you see Gonzaga versus Baylor, you're going to see a different team show up and it's going to be scary. So I am riding my Gonzaga future. I will not be hedging out of it at all. And I think that it is a good ticket to have right now. Okay. I, if, if I hedge, it's going to be very small on, on Baylor because I think it's the only team that has a shot at, at coming close. Um, but we'll see, maybe something changes my mind Saturday night and I just let Gonzaga ride. If we hopefully get that matchup um, real quick, a couple props that I would be looking at in this game before we go, you mentioned Timmy his points were set at 17 and a half. He's okay. last three tournament games, 30, 22, 23. Uh, kids that's kids that's probably an over for me that's probably my best bet uh, in this game almost 
um, outside of using that first half money line as a leg with, with Baylor. Um, the other one, Jalen Suggs, he was two, two assists or two rebounds shy of a triple double last game. You can get his points, rebounds, assists at 24 and a half. That intrigues me. I don't think it's quite as good a bet as the Timmy points, but that's another one that I would, I would be looking at because I don't think UCLA really has a way to contain him. Um, so I think this is a good game to bet props, uh, because the score we don't necessarily know, but I think, I think even in kind of a blowout ish type of game, uh, those guys are going to stay on the floor and, and get theirs because it's the final four. Um, so those are a couple of things that jump out to me. Yeah. Just curious. Is there a prop? I haven't looked at props at all. Is there a prop for Drew Timmy's assists? There should be, um, there's not. No big man assists. It makes sense because it's the most notable thing that I have on this team is the fact that they run their offense. Yes, they have a point guard in Saudis that's probably the second best player in the nation, but Timmy is the underlying runner of this offense. And I just pulled up some quick stats and it shows he has four assists or more in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his last eight games. So to have a center that's tossing four assists a game is pretty ridiculous. Um, he's the best backdoor cut reader I've seen in a very long time. And it's just ridiculous. So um, I, there's no reason he doesn't have five assists here. And so I, that probably I would take away from other people's assists. So if there was a Kispert or a Suggs assist, I would probably go to the under of that. I think that Timmy, the ball stays in his hand. Um, but now that I look at it, he is the MVP of their game in two of the, what, five games that they've played? And uh, let's see, one, two, they played four, four games. I'm an idiot. Uh, he's MVP in two of the four games that they've played in March Madness this year, and it shows. So, All right, well, we're on the same page here. Go Zags on Saturday. Go Zags <laughs> on Monday. Um all right, man, we'll see how this wraps up, uh, hopefully with Gonzaga cutting down the nets. Uh, we will stay tuned for MLB content. Uh, you can follow the man on Twitter at the College Caps. Corby Craig, thank you for joining the Unreasonable Odds podcast once again. Yes, sir. It was fun, as always. All right, good luck on your final four bets, guys. Um, we will have another Unreasonable Odds on Monday. Uh, just straight up covering the national championship game. Uh, hopefully it's Baylor Gonzaga because that will give us by far the most talking points. Um, and we will have a very special guest for that one. So thank you for listening to Unreasonable Odds. We'll be back on Monday, April 5th, covering the national championship game.